Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Amisha Gormley. We're two girls obsessed with one thing, beauty. beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We're calling on our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. With a drink in hand. Definitely with a drink in hand. <laughs> You're listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims. I mean, this might be one of my favorite episodes ever. I mean, this is going to be the one that every mom needs to tune into, for sure. Every mom, every dad. So these two women have had profound, I mean, a profound effect on my life, on my children's life. These two women have literally changed the way I parent. And I mean that, like, in a really good way. It's a rather special episode because I have my therapist on, Bronwyn Charlton, which I've never talked to her in front of people, so this might be awkward. And my very good friend and her business partner and esteemed colleague, Elisa Pressman. Okay, a little bit about them. Bronwyn and Elisa are co-founders of The Seedlings Group, an amazing company made up of child development educators and psychologists that help parents mindfully navigate the challenges of raising children. They basically help nurture nature. Bronwyn, she has gotten... I mean, I could cry, but she's gotten me through some really tough times in my life and in my family's life. She's helped me problem solve. She's helped me figure out how to navigate my children. And Eliza, I was with her at the very beginning when I got my first zero to six seedlings <laughs> development group. And I'm thinking like... How is how am I going to raise a human? Um, which, speaking of, she has an incredible podcast called Raising Good Humans. It's actually on Dear Media, and she has an incredible book coming out in 2024 in January called The Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans, The Five Principles of Parenting. So, sorry I cried, but these two women are incredible, and you're going to know why after we talk. So we're going to take a couple of subjects. And there are so many things we could talk about, but we wanted to talk. I know I'm like crying. They're crying for me and they're my therapist. Okay. It's like, this is weird. Well, if you remember, um, Molly, you gave me Eliza when I first had Maeve and right after my mom had passed away. So I was right there along. I mean, Eliza, I didn't have a mom to call when I needed to know what was happening. I literally, you were, you were that for me, Eliza. So, I mean, if you want to cry. No, I'm going to cry. <laughs> By no. the way, the therapist, they don't really cry. But so it is so special. And now you're like fully 
it's it's just beautiful because you see you you do do it and you are doing it. I know. I was like, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. How am I going to? I still remember sitting at the little table. You forgot your purse. I was um, just about to say, not not for nothing. Though, that was like a particularly specific time in my life when I met both of you. <laughs> so it's a wonder that we're my, still friends. We're still, yeah, yeah like, we still listen to you. We still get your newsletter. <laughs> okay. So what I like about both of them, they break it down. They make it very simple, so you can take away their advice their path, what they think you should do or not do, or leave it on the table and you never discuss it again. (laughs) That is what Bronwyn is so good. She was like, you can take it or leave it. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do it. So you don't have to say that. But today we wanted to talk a little bit about helicopter versus advocating. Which parent are you? Are you a little bit of both? And Bronwyn, I'm going to start with you because... (laughs) I'm always like, am I getting too involved? Am I not being involved enough? Will you break down like a little bit of the parenting styles just so everyone, the average listener can kind of understand what we're talking about? Sure. <laughs> we're jumping right in. So, you know, there's not just yeah, helicoptering or advocating or snow plowing or all those terms that you read about. It really boils down to a type of parenting that really, really works and is very, very successful in raising kids optimally. And, and that is the balance of supporting your child, being responsive to your child, knowing who your child is, loving them unconditionally, being available, listening, being empathetic. And at the same time, which this is the very difficult piece, having high expectations for them, having limits, being able to hold those limits and not cave or get very angry and yell and finding that balance. And so all the other parenting styles that you hear about are sort of the extremes that branch off from these two pieces of parenting. So sometimes you have very permissive parents that are very, very responsive and loving and sometimes coddling and and nurturing, but they have a hard time holding limits they cave, they feel sad when their child feels upset. So they really want to protect them from, you know, not, you know, being disappointed or frustrated. You have opposite side of a parent who has high expectations, very, very good at holding limits, rarely caves, can really come down hard because I said so kind of parents who have a hard time on the opposite end of listening, empathizing, really responding to the child they have. And those are tend to be called authoritarian or because I said so parents. So that's really the base from developmental psychology and decades of research of the kind of parenting styles that we know are prominent and really very common. And and there's the middle, the sort of Goldilocks balanced parenting and the extremes. And all the other terms, helicopter parenting, snowplow parenting, all of those, they're just branch, they're just new names that are a little bit sexier. I think more interesting to articles and book sales. And <laughs> and really, we are all guilty of falling into all of them at different times. No one is one parenting style. But the two that you brought up, Elise, I'm sure you have a lot to say as well. They're very, very relevant and very, very commonly referred to these days. And the helicopter, on the one hand, is sort of the hovering parent who is always monitoring everything the snowplow sort of goes into removing all obstacles and protecting their child and advocating, you know, advocating 
isn't necessarily a negative thing, but it's about how you will advocate over time and let backing up to allow your child to begin to advocate for themselves, which obviously, hopefully, is the ultimate goal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. She just said it. Boom. I, boom. There we go. I know. Emma and I are like, we helicopter and we advocate. <laughs> and, but yeah. also, we, these are t- these are labels that we we do in this this world, this space, whatever, that inevitably just criticize women and mothers. And it's such a bummer because we all do all of it at some point, no matter how much we might know intellectually. I mean, Brown and I have the benefit of being able to whisper to each other our like parenting fails and the shame we feel around them because we're like, and we know better. But it's like, of course, these things are going to happen. But actually, it just means you care. And the the job for us is figuring out how do we find that Goldilocks space of balance and pulling back over time. And part of it is figuring out what are you good at? Like, are you the one who's really good at setting the limits and really advocating and all of that that goes into the the one side of these things that Bronwyn was referring to? And are or are you the kind of parent that's so good at sensitivity and empathy? And like, you just do not like to see your child. Nobody does. But like, it's really extra hard for you to see your child experience the range of feelings people experience. And if that's where you your strength is sensitivity, but your weakness feels like setting a limit hurts you because it's just hard to keep it then that's good to know. You don't need to practice sensitivity of care. And on the other side of it, some people are just like really good at limits. They're really good at boundaries. They are extremely competent at high expectations, but they do so without remembering the sensitivity. So it's really just like finding out what you feel most comfortable with and working on the other stuff. (laughs) And, you know, I have to say, what I always say to parents and to myself is it's very, very, very easy to be a balanced parent when things are going well. (laughs) <laughs> and everybody's happy and, and sitting at the dinner table and getting to school on time. But when things go south and there's a lot of, whether it be angry or sad or frustrated or stressed or anxious feelings being expressed, um, and you start to feel your level of, of emotion increasing, it's always a good idea to, to be aware of where you go. You know, and so most of us go in those moments to wanting it to stop. (laughs) And so how do you make it stop? The sort of very, very accommodating, sensitive parents are more likely in those moments to make it stop by caving, by saying, you know what, just have one cookie. It's fine. You know, you'll still eat your dinner or whatever it is. Okay, fine. You won't take a bath tonight, but tomorrow night you will. And then the very authoritarian (laughs) parents, their go-to tends to be in those moments. That's enough you know, a threat or a consequence. If I hear one more word, there won't be X, Y, Z. And when you know what your go-to is in those moments and you're aware of that, that begins, begins the possibility of beginning to change how you react by pausing in those moments and being aware of what your thoughts are leading you to. Because that's when it's hard to have the balance. I think it's for me as a parent, like I find... To your point, I'm either one extreme, I'm losing my shit at 8.07 a.m. because I'm trying to yeah, get me too. I lost it at 7.47 today. I lost it. And I it. lose it. And and I literally look at myself and I'm having an out-of-body experience and I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs and I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, oh my God, 
But what happens, and I've started to do this, is I actually apologize. So I think that like letting them know that I'm human and mommy made a mistake and I get in the car and I take a deep breath and I'm like, what is the worst thing that can happen? They're going to be late. They're never late. We always end up making it in the nick of time. Maeve has had one tardy on her report card in three years. We're okay, right? And I, I apologize, but it's so hard because I think as moms, you know, we beat ourselves up every single day and we're kind of learning along. I feel, let me preface that maybe I'll say, I feel yeah. like I'm learning alongside my kids and I mess up probably daily, but I think accepting that we messed up is part of it, right? Like I think that's maybe the self-acceptance of the fact that we are learning as a parent and we're going to make mistakes. And who wants that? Like, who wants the parent who doesn't make mistakes? I mean, if any of you had perfect mothers to, to let's just call it, because it's typically mothers, but if you had a, well, someone you perceived as a perfect mother, it probably didn't feel great when you became an adult and realized that either you're an incredibly flawed person and that must be very disturbing because your mother wasn't, or everything is a lie. Like, so it feels much better to know that mistakes are made daily, repairs are made daily, and we get to continue loving each other and moving on. Yeah. And we talk a lot about making mistakes. I mean, it's the one thing is like, be kind, be a leader and make mistakes. Is I say it to my kids every single time they get out of the car almost in the mornings. Because, you know, we're in a culture where, as we all know, it's very difficult to make a mistake as a child, as a teen, as someone in college. I mean, it's, this cancel culture, I mean, that's a whole nother, you know, topic, but that's a very real and heavy thing that I think kids are afraid. And when you're afraid, you you can't do your best. You can't make great decisions because you you're just you want to you want to make it right. Absolutely. And you know, in those moments, I'm not sure when you go back and you're acknowledging that you lost your shit and said things you probably regret, it's not even necessarily, I mean, yes, the repair is incredibly important. But it's also an opportunity to say, I mean, when we get mad, it's almost like a fixed mindset. Like they shouldn't be doing this. They should be in the car on time. They should already know how to pack their backpack or whatever it is. Totally. But when we are more calm later and we come back, we can think actually in our own regulated brain. Well, that would be great if they did, but clearly they don't. They're still learning to do. And I have to, as a, my job is to help them get better at it. And, and there's, there's a glitch here because I'm having to yell every morning and it's not like they want to be yelled at. So let's figure this out together. Let's problem solve how to make the mornings easier. And we can't problem solve and talk like this if we're, if we are losing it. So if we can't beat ourselves up when we've lost it, we say things that we don't mean and we come down hard. But if we're willing to acknowledge that later, it totally opens the door to being able to grow our kids and to hopefully, you know, I, Elisa and I, we have the exact same age, which is total coincidence, older kids. We have a 16-year-old, each of us, and a 13-year-old, each of us. And then I have a bonus nine-year-old. And, <laughs> and I always say to the families I work with, a lot of the time, I'm ahead of you. You know, I, I've been where you were and I've been where you are in mornings and, uh, and I did a lot of things wrong. But clearly, I did some good stuff, too, because my mornings aren't like that anymore. They yeah. do their own stuff. And I don't I literally don't have to basically say a word. And that's not because I'm an amazing parent. It's because we grew together 
and figured out what worked in the morning. So your kids can tie their shoes on their own. Honestly, my fifth grader, I, I swear to God, I'm like, if you don't fucking tie your shoe, if you do not learn, I'm not like, this, this is beyond, this is beyond helicopter. This is like, I'm bending down, tying your shoe. But this that's is a, a great example, though. I know. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it is a great, honestly. It's a great yeah. opportunity to just ask yourself, like, what's the worst case scenario? Well, he's going to trip. He's going to, I, he's, and then he's going to break his teeth. And then yeah, we spend time on braces. They look really good. <laughs> I swear it's to also, all these you know, like, it's also really good question of like, is it time for them to practice tying their shoes at 730 in the morning when you have to get to school? Maybe that is a time where some, if they're not there yet, you can tie it and re- keep everyone coming at the door. Weekend, put those shoelaces on and let them practice tying all day long because then they have the space and what do we care if their shoelaces are tied? Like my parenting, it's like, I, it's like a pendulum that swings. Like I can be totally empathetic and feel, and then I can just- Until you're not. <laughs> until I'm not. And then I literally, like, Emisha, I lose my mind. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, but I've also, like, started explaining, like, you do know that I drove to Oceanside <laughs> and back and then to Torrance. This is yesterday. So I spent six hours in the car. Okay. Yeah. I learned a lot, by the way. Yeah, we learned a lot. You you can learn a lot in the car with your kids. That's true. It yeah. is that they all started talking. The girls started talking. That's a whole other episode. But... I do have to be careful of like that swing because, but then sometimes I'm like, they don't take me serious unless I'm like, no, no. You know, we love talking about the gut around here. I'm super excited to introduce you guys to Rituals Symbiotic Plus, a clinically studied three-in-one prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic to help support a balanced gut microbiome. Using two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains, Symbiotic Plus supports the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. Sorry, I know it's not a really pleasant thing to talk about, but we're all human, right? The prebiotics are designed to target undesirable bacteria in the gut and support the growth of beneficial bacteria. The probiotics help support immune health. And if you didn't already know, it's estimated that 70% of the immune system is located in the gut. So what is a postbiotic? It's probably a term you're less familiar with. The postbiotic provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining and supports a healthy gut barrier. It's a complete win-win. Ritual's delayed release capsule is designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon, an ideal place for probiotics to grow and thrive. All this goodness is nestled into one single minty capsule. You've probably heard me talk about this before with Ritual's other supplements, but the mintiness really makes it so much more enjoyable to take on a daily basis. With no refrigeration needed, Ritual makes it super easy to take these on the go. It's so vital to take a probiotic. I cannot stress it enough, and this really is a great place to start. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. There's no more shame in your gut game. That's why Ritual, we're offering our listeners 30% 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash lipstick to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. Support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. And what perfect timing, because with fall and full swing, my wardrobe could use a little refresh. 
I am a huge fan of this brand and have been for years and years. It's the optimum of California style with ease and effortlessness is at the center of everything they do. Truly my go-to for all staples. Jenny K not only makes getting dressed easy and enjoyable, but you're always comfortable too. In any season, but especially fall and winter, their sweaters are the it item. I happen to be eyeing the Flynn cashmere sweater and the cashmere Francis polo, which I'll be incorporating into my sweater rotation. The polo, well, it's the kind of this cool vintagey piece, yet it also feels modern at the same time. I literally get compliments every time I'm wearing Jenny. I live in the cashmere fisherman, the cashmere cocoon, and give them as gifts constantly because there is no single human who doesn't love receiving these items. They're Jenny's bestsellers for a reason. What makes these pieces so versatile is that you can sell them with just about anything, over denim, smart trousers, with a slip dress, even leggings if you're quickly running out the door. I also, oh my God, guys, I have to mention their home collection. If you haven't checked it out, you need to. I love popping into the store here at the Brentwood Country Mart. Just like her clothes, everything. Everything is really timeless and cozy and super, super chic. Find your forever piece at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code LIPSTICK at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at JennyKane.com. J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code LIPSTICK. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I think what you're what you're saying after driving for many hours, which I did yesterday, and it is deeply infuriating to then have a moment where anything goes wrong because you're just like, oh, my God, do you know what I just did for you all day? That's the thought. But in those moments, just trying to figure out, like, what do you need to get out of this day and what do your kids need to get out of this day? And if your choice is to do all of that, you have to make that choice outside of waiting for that. No, I know. Gra- which is, again, I know. it's all easy to think and say when you're not <laughs> in the heat of the moment. But I don't think I was just that really was- tired. We'd had a flood. Yeah, but I will was- say our flood, saw that. it was the first time where, I mean, it was flooding. And I did an assembly line with my kids and Stuber, who's never picked up a towel in his <sighs> life, much less done a dish. But it was really kind of interesting to see the kids come, like together. come together. I mean, like, Brooks was like Bear, Grill- Bear Grillis. He was like a ninja, right? Like, they got off on me like, let's go, let's get the water. Like, it was really, it was interesting to see all of them come together. They yeah. were not yelling. They were not fighting. They were not. That's great. It, it was really, I mean, it was a horrible moment because it was root evasion. It was thousands of dollars. But in the end, like, I, I was like, ah, all right. I mean, you know our kid. I mean, Emisha, we, I mean, there's six between us, and they're very close in age. I think those moments, they don't happen very frequently. But when there's a real need, like, you know, a lot of kids have these chores or jobs in their house that they know are arbitrary, that they're just being assigned because they're supposed to have a chore. But if they didn't do it, it would get done anyway. 
And so it doesn't feel like they're really contributing. They're not really important in this moment. And so who would, I mean, no one's really motivated to do those kind of tasks. But the flood is a great example of when you really feel like you matter to the family, then you all become a unit and you're all like, just like what Brooks was doing, like, you know, getting it done. And so, you know, that's one of the recommendations. Again, as a parent, it's still hard. And I know Lisa feels, probably feels this way too. But if you can figure out, like, what are things in my house that don't get done, that are extras, you know, like whatever it is, like for me, it's like the mudroom of like shoes and, you know, and all of that junk that just gets thrown at the door. Like if someone just organizes that, that means a lot to me. That's huge when I come in the door and my kids know that. Do they do it all the time? No. But once in a while they will. And it's a big, big deal. Like I just like, oh, who did this? You know, kind of thing. And that means more to them. So they're more motivated to do it. Like saving your home. The, the pandemic did this. Like a lot of people experienced for the first time seeing their kids like had to chip in because otherwise parents were going to absolutely <laughs> like there's just no option anymore. And so you see that, that there is really stepping up to the I mean, we certainly don't need to wish a flood or a pandemic to get kids to step up. But if it's authentically helping, I mean, I absolutely there are certain things that my kids have to do in the house or like. It's not happening. Right. So part of it is also to go back to the original question of like advocating versus <laughs> helicoptering and all of that stuff is we have to ask ourselves like how much does this matter to us and how much can we step back and let it become something that matters to them? And are there strategies to encourage children to become more independent thinkers, to become better decision makers? Problem solving with them and then allowing them to fail. For me, I feel like we have regressed and maybe it's just me, but I find when I was nine years old, my parents let me go on a public transportation bus by myself mm -hmm. with a key. I was literally a latchkey kid in Toronto. So a major city on a public transportation by myself. I will not let my nine-year-old walk to school in like one of the safest towns in America because I'm nervous she's going to like get hit by a car. But I, so my question, I guess, is like that independence, she's dying to walk to school every day. She tells me when I'm driving her, mommy, you promised me that I would get to walk to school in the spring. I didn't get to walk to school. What do you think that is? Because I feel like I'm not the only parent that feels that way. Like we're nervous letting our kids walk to school. Yeah. And the generation before us, like my parents were the opposite. They let me sit on a bus with no cell phone, with no Apple Watch that could tell her you know, where I was. So what is that? And how do we, as parents, allow ourselves to feel comfortable giving them that independence that I know in my heart of hearts is important for her to grow at nine, like she needs that in a very safe town. What are the tools that we can both have for that to, to work? I mean, I'm going to let Brahman answer this because she's in New York City and I feel like there you just like have you better opportunities for giving <laughs> space. But I will say I, you yeah. said something important to remember, which is how do I get more comfortable? You know, how do we get more comfortable with this? And one thing to do is to accept that it is not comfortable. Like it's just full stop yeah. not comfortable for us. Because yeah. if we Bra wait till we're comfortable, forget it. I told Brahman the other day, I go, can you believe, can you believe my friend is going to let her junior get on a plane by himself. And she was like, well, 
we'll get you there eventually. I'm like, what? She's like, yes, it's normal. I'm like, are you insane? So, yes, I'm not complaining. I got a Greyhound at 10 from Montreal to Toronto by myself. My parents took Okay, so here's, like, the truth is, right, a lot of parenting is about us managing our own discomfort and obviously within reason, right? So the first thing you said is it's a very safe town. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that generally speaking, regardless almost of where you live, the fear isn't legitimate, like for, for, for our children's safety. And that fear is what sort of precludes a lot of parents from giving their kids the, the, the opportunity to, to grow, to feel really old and independent and competent. But two things. One is kids are more competent and responsible when they have to be responsible for themselves. So you, like my middle child, you would never have thought he could walk to school on his own because he literally, I don't even know if he knew how to get to school, even though he'd walked there his entire life until the day I said to him, it's time to practice getting to school on your own. And it really, you know, this is a research base, it's not my steps, but when you're trying to introduce an independent task or, or job or skill or whatever it is, it's usually in four steps. So the first would be that you teach them, you know, and so you'd never say like, you know what, you're nine or you're eight, walk to school. It's not like an age, right? Or, you know, but yeah. it is uh, knowing your child, like my child, I, I think my child is ready you know, why, why do I know that they're ready? Well, they make good choices. They know not to speak to strangers. They can read the signs of, you know, streets or they know they're left from the right, whatever, all, whatever the marking. So now let's teach them. So the first would say, you know, I really think that we are headed towards walking to school on our own, you. And so let's talk about what that means. And so you teach them, you know, what does it mean for you? Like, how do they get there? What are the rules? Where can they walk? Which streets? blah, blah, blah. The second step would be, let's try it. You know, let, let you, you walk me to school. And basically what that step is, is that you're doing it independently, but I'm there to, to scaffold. So if you took a last, and it's supposed to be a right, I'll remind you, you know, we're still practicing. And then the third step is usually, you know, with walking to school would be, go for it. I'm going to hang back and bar an legit emergency I'm going to let you walk to school. And the funny thing is when my oldest did that, who's 16, my husband did this third step and he came home to report because all the girls, there's three girls walking together and we had this like group text to the parent. And he came to report, they're going to be perfectly safe. I'm not worried about their safety, but I don't know if they'll ever get there because they'd get to the red light and it would be a red light. And so they would stop and start chatting and it would turn white and they'd be chatting and they'd look up and it'd be red again. <laughs> so what they had to learn wasn't the safety part, but it was the the social part, like that you still have to remain vigilant. And he was there to observe it. So that was something we could then teach. I still and the that. fourth step is saying to them, you're ready. You know, the risk of you not being able to walk to school on your own is much greater than the risk, which is infinitesimally small. Now that I've given you all these tool- tips and tools to 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 not to walk on your own. Because I'm giving you so much, you know, in terms of your your independence and your autonomy and all of those good things. One thing I wanted to ask in terms of like advocating helicoptering, you know, we're back at school. Do you get involved with the teachers? Do you not get involved with the teachers? 
because now they're saying, oh, we really want your child to advocate for himself. Have your child email us. Have your child. I'm like, the minute they give that, because in kindergarten, they're probably not saying that, This right? is, he just turned, Brooks just went into fifth grade. But, Did they but, say it for May even fourth? They haven't said that yet, no. So once they, a lot of times for middle school or what's considered here, middle school is a little bit later, but what is considered ready, which certainly fifth grade is a time to practice this. But if your teachers are saying, we believe they're capable and they're going to mess up and that's okay because we're going to be here to receive the mistakes and help them through it, that's your cue to not advocate when you don't need to. When, when it gets to a point where there's harm being caused because of it, then you might step in. But if you can just know that, okay, this is a this is a sloppy couple of years when they're advocating for themselves, they're forgetting things, things are going to get messed up, they're going to have to talk to their teachers. If you can just know that it'll be sloppy, this is the time for that to happen so that later it's much easier. Yeah, no, he was late and he got in trouble and, you know, he had to, I didn't say anything, he had to do it, he cried and he stood there with me. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not going in there and saying a reason. You will have to go. I mean, I I was like dying for him mm-hmm. and I felt so bad, but I needed him to start. This was at the end of last year and he did it. And he was like, they weren't really mad. Hmm. And know? it was survivable. Yeah. And he was like, I, I made it through. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. My child's going to be a rack. It's fine. Don't blame me. You know, that that also, you were asking, like, how do we help our kids begin to think critically and problem solve? That's actually, you know, like a lot of times when our kids come home and they have a big complaint about something, blah, 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 wasn't fair. I never get called on in class. She never calls on me, you know, whatever they're reporting their angst. And then we might say, well, what would you like to do about that? Like, that sounds like a bummer. You know, you sound really frustrated. And then they might say, will you tell my teacher that I, that she never calls on me? You know, will you, and, and it's a really, you know, it's a great time to say, it sounds like you'd really like her to know that it should probably come from you because it's, it's something you're thinking and something you're feeling. How can I help you with, with getting there? You know, so like, it's not like in the first time they've ever wanted to talk to their teacher, you're like, "Ah, your turn, like I'm done here, but it's baby stepping it. And a lot of kids, you know, they might say, I'm just going to tell her you're rude. And, you know, or or, you never call me. And (laughs) then you might say as a parent, like, I wonder how that would sound to her if that's the way, you know, so even just asking them some questions about their thinking with regard, I wonder, you know, I wonder if that would get your point across. I wonder if there's a different way you could say it and she'll still like you. And I'm just kidding. But, you know, she's still going to be a really good teacher for you. And then maybe call on you because she enjoys you. But right. So like, so you are, you know, we say scaffolding, you're supporting them. You're helping them think about ways to go about doing this through your questions, but you're not just throwing them to the wolves with the hope like that by, you know, high school, maybe the end of middle school, they can write their own emails without you even necessarily reading them anymore or, or, you know, needing you to talk through these things. Because they they send up an email and then you read it later and you're like, wow, I can't believe this came from my child. You know, you're really getting older. So it's it's all about learning with the ultimate goal of being able to do these things come the day, you know, they go to college or even boarding school for some kids, I guess. 
And for someone, you know, for families that have young kids like Emish and I, like holding the limit, like what do you, and again, I know it's it's a very broad question, but is there certain tips or tricks or just mom advice you could give us in terms of like holding the line, holding the limit? Like, is it, I've asked you three times, I've, is, is there a certain, it's, I know there's no magic answer, but sometimes Emisha and I get into like Bronwyn was saying, okay, fine. Just one more baking show. Okay. It's fine. Just, all right. Okay. So five more minutes, half, just five more do- minutes. half yeah. the donut. No, I just, it's just wh- half of one more donut. Like, uh, I know this sounds no, so, no, no. It, this t- sounds it's, so like remedial, but no, <laughs> no, that is a, every parent struggles with this. But sometimes I feel like it's the base of everything. It's the base of where they get me. And it's everyone, not just you. It's, it's not just you. That is our, that's our struggle is like figuring out also what limits matter to us. So we make sure that the ones that we set, we stick with because here's, here's what you can think of. Why do I care about this? What's my ultimate goal? And should I set this limit given that information? Great. Now I can stick with it because if you just think of like a car seat, you would never go on the highway, freeway, whatever, wherever you live, depending <laughs> That's what it's yeah. called. But you would never, if they, if your child said, I don't want to get in, you wouldn't be like, all right, <laughs> yeah, just get the back seat, roll around, no big deal. You would just set that limit. And if they cried and screamed and yelled, you would stay. I know this is so uncomfortable and you don't want to get in this car seat, but this is what we need to do to keep your body safe. Click. Like, I can do it for you or you can help me. All of those things. But you would never just say like, okay, we'll do five minutes without the car seat and then the rest, you know, we'll see. So what you want to decide, especially with younger children, is like what really matters to you and what limits are important enough to you that you're going to set it and stick with it. And then for the other ones, if you keep breaking with those, like if you keep noticing that you're just like, oh, forget it, just five more minutes of this or whatever, maybe it's time to change the limits so you're not fighting yourself all the time. And then feel confident that our job is to, you know, welcome the feelings and set the limits. Like This sounds crazy, but I, I don't even want to start. Like, we don't do the iPad during the school year, only on the weekends after summer. Like, Roblox, there's this, like, game that they all— I'm like, it's like an addiction. Like, <laughs> to get them off, I'm like, that's why, like, it was, you know, it was gone on Tuesday morning, and then it didn't reappear till Saturday— but it was so nice because I didn't have to deal with it, taking it away. So then you made the decision I that did. they're not ready for that argument. It's too much and you're not ready. So you're just setting the limit super clear. And that's that. It's there on the weekend. So you're also saying that if you know you're going to give them the extra baking show, then just, I know. Yeah. I know, I know, then just know. change your, just and tell them, you know what? Let's problem solve. We keep arguing about the same thing. Well, it's the time to go to bed. So that's what they do. They'll be like, right. one more thing, one more, or like one more play date or one more sleepover. I'm like, I've had 97 kids over. Like, I'm done. You know? <laughs> well, you know, I think also, they also know, yeah. right? Would you say that they also know that once they, I know my kids know when they can get away with it. Well, she gives it. Where like, I the, push hard enough and I ask right. enough, I get it, Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think also what's helpful to think about is like the iPad example, right? So, and by the way, I'm all for what you did. And you're, and, by, and obviously as parents, we make our own choices and everyone's different. But in a sense, like, let's say you just got rid of the iPad entirely, like even on Saturday and Sunday, because you just can't deal. Like, it's so annoying. It's actually, I mean, I know 
this sounds like very hokey and Pollyanna, like it's a welcoming opportunity, but it's true. And that is all that's happening in that moment is your kids are, are frustrated. They don't want to stop the iPad. Like, I don't want to stop binging Netflix at night either, you know, when it's a good show series. But I force myself finally to turn off the Netflix because I know I have, you know, work the next day or whatever it is because I'm a grown up and I have a strong, hopefully somewhat strong prefrontal cortex. <laughs> but our kids don't. And they, they feel just the same as we do. They want to keep binge watching. They want to keep playing and they don't want to turn it off. But they can't turn it off because they don't have as strong of a brain as we do to say, this sucks. I really don't want to turn off, but I have a huge day tomorrow. Like that's, that's self-regulation to be able to make a good choice. They need us in those moments. So if we get rid of those moments entirely, we're not giving them the opportunity with us to practice dealing with having to turn off, you know? And, and so, yeah, during the week, that's probably a great choice because there's so much else going on. But like in the weekend, it's an opportunity to welcome that, like to just expect it. Like, don't even go in there blind. Like, this is going to be hard. They're going to freak out. And when they do, just to say, I oh, know, oh gosh, do I know? Well, that's How the one thing you've is, taught you know? me when she'll be like, okay, she'll play Brooks or she'll play Gray or whatever. And be like, and then she'll be like, Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Sometimes not saying anything and then and then to let them speak or I know this was really yeah. hard for you. I know you didn't want to do it. I know that I even said to Brooks the other day, I had to read, I literally had to read like 500 pages of a book. I'm like, Brooks, mm-hmm. I literally have to finish this book to report to my, my Elizabeth who works with me tomorrow. I don't want to read it. But I have to. Yeah, it's so great and to talk like, like you that. You have to read five hundred pages. They think and I was like, yeah, I do. Can do anything. And I have to. Yeah, I have to make the decision that this matters to me. And you know, even what Bronwyn was saying, like sometimes you're going to. I always. It's so hokey. I say this all the time, but all feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not. You really are just saying to them, I get that this is hard. I'm going to talk to you know. Over time, you have such broad ages. Let's keep with the iPad example. It's not going to be no iPad on the weekdays forever for all of them. It's going to be different ages. They're going to be capable of different challenges. And you're there to help assist their prefrontal cortex in self-regulating because they can't do it all by themselves. But with practice and age, they'll get there. And every time you have the opportunity to give a little bit more freedom, they're going to have the opportunity to see how it feels and to decide if they're ready for it. And you'll be able to witness that. And so then you can go back to, okay, this was, we gave too much space. We got to bring it back and you find the right setup, but it only happens with practice and scaffolding. Well, I love what you said about, you know, when they do problem solve and they feel good about themselves and they feel like they also come back and they're happy with themselves. Like, especially Brooks, I can kind of gauge him just because he's a little bit older. Like I've seen where he started and where he is now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's the end of the world. Brown was like, yeah, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. But I, you know, as a parent, you're always like, oh, he's my first or whatever. But to see him work through something is really, I mean, Emma's just seeing him, right? Like, or all the kids work, especially with Grace, everything she's going through. To really see them go through something Pretty incredible and pretty remarkable. Jewelry has the power to be the one little thing that makes you feel unique. 
said the late, great Elizabeth Taylor, who not only was the ultimate icon when it came to amazing jewelry, but the ultimate collector. I think we can all learn a thing or two from her as always, but why? Why? Because Macy's diamond sale is here. And if you're ever going to take a cue out of Elizabeth Taylor's book, now is the time. There are such great deals, which I'll walk you guys through. You seriously don't want to miss it. As always, Macy's excels in their curations. It's truly what they do best and their diamond sale is no exception. It is vast. There's so much to scroll through. You're going to have a field day. And by the way, those are two words paired together. I can really get behind diamond and sale. I mean, I sort of can't think of anything better. Diamond and sale. Okay, so this is a breakdown. You get 30 to 60% off fine jewelry for pretty much any occasion. You get 55 to 70% off lab-grown diamond and gemstone jewelries. Plus, it's 75% off, here it goes, of gold, chains, and earrings. To pair together, mix or match with your collection. What makes jewelry so special is how personal it is. It's truly one of the best things to collect, gift, and to pass down. I love a layered look. I'm always on the hunt for new pieces I can weave into my existing everyday go-tos. And then of course, there are the statement pieces, big, amazing earrings, a bold necklace, a stack of bracelets that complete a look. Head on over to Macy's.com to check out great deals. Some exclusions apply. See details also at Macy's.com. It is the Macy's Diamond Sale. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What are the key things to make a good human? <laughs> this is your podcast. Like, what if, what if you you interview the best of the best? You 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 know you're the co-founder of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center in freaking New York. What makes a good human? I mean, the funny thing about that, even the phrase, and even saying it, is like it depends on who you are. So I think our first job is to figure out what does that mean to me and my family. Like, what makes a good human? And I'm going to have a different answer than each of you. Maybe we'll have some alignment, but there's no right answer, but figuring out what your North Star is and then raising the kid you have. So you're aligning your values of what makes a good human with the temperament and child that you have. You're golden. Like, that's what makes a good human. And just knowing that, you know, there's the both the support and the very clear boundaries to help raise this human, that's it. But it's, you know, annoying because I don't have one good answer. But we each know exactly what, what a good human is. We just know. It's just that our definitions are different. Right. Well, I you think have a really good answer. At least you have your five. I have my yes, five, principles, five of yeah. principles of parenting. Yes. Thanks, B. There we go. <laughs> that's coming out in January. We've got the gallery. I mean, I, in front I, of by us. the way, I have a great the, thing. My dad, my 85 year old dad, was visiting last week and he picks up your book. By the way, English is not his first language, right? So <laughs> he picks up your galley in my kitchen and starts reading it. And he goes, 
this is fantastic. This, this is fantastic. <laughs> and he starts telling me how wonderful it is at 85 years old for me to read this mm-hmm. book that the, the, I wish I would have had these, these, these tips and tricks in here. But to the point, I mean, I have a belief and I'm curious. I, I remember my parents saying this and it was so simple and I'm an only child, but I remember my mom and dad, even before I had my, my mom, I, you know, passed away right before, um, or right after my, my first was born, but they always said, the most important thing you can give your kids is love and affection and for them to feel safe. And you give your child that. It is the simplest thing you can give them, but that gives them a sense of security and confidence that nothing else can. And I think, you know, I don't know the secret sauce of raising good humans. I think to your point, everything is different, but I do believe that like, you know, Molly, I see it with your kids and you and Stuber. And I know with, you know, Mike and I with our kids, like what my family's been through this past year is, you know, not, not, not a fun ride. But I think that you instill that love in your kids from day one and you, you smother them with love. And some people aren't as affectionate. Some people are more affectionate. But I think as long as your kids know that they are loved and have a safe place, that is like, to me the best thing you can give your kids, like to start as a starting point. And structure and boundaries and making them feel, <laughs> and that's safety. No, but that's safety. It. Like the word, the words are all different, but they're the same thing as what Bronwyn was saying at the beginning about what is called in the research authoritative parenting. All it is is sensitivity that we were talking about, which is love and safety, which are boundaries and rules and limits. Yeah. And it's just how do you fr- how you frame it and how it gets talked about. It just depends on, you know, the news cycle. But it's that. It's what you just said. Well, when my mom was dying, she was saying, I was like, how am I going to get them in? How, how are we going to go into the hospital? How are we going to, you know, like, and she was like, they're going to watch you. They're going to watch you walk in. They're going to watch what you do. I know. Mm. But that was exactly that. And as long as I, you know, she was like, you cannot completely lose it in the room. She goes, that, this is the one thing you can't do, but you can do everything else. You can cry, you can smile, you can laugh. You can be silent, but you can't lose it. And it was them. so, because you will scare them. No, but it, I, it's funny. I thought about Bronwyn. I recently took Scarlett with me to Africa with Johns Hopkins to learn more about neonatal care there, mom immortality kid it's 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 very difficult i went with a, a charity called japaigo and she exactly what she said i mean we were in some very hard hard areas and i struggled with going i struggled with taking her at the last minute almost cuz i'm like i got to shield you i think this is going to be too much for you and at times it was but she watched me she watched my reaction she watched you know, how I would walk into the hospital or walk into the rooms. And it was interesting. I, I, I made her safe just by my reaction. Yeah. It was good. I'm glad I did it. But I was like, Oof. you know, I was like, well, I have to say, like what Emma Show was saying, it's interesting because it's very easy or not easy, but it's easier to do to show the love and the affection and the sensitivity when we have little babies and toddlers and, you know, school age kids. So cute. Yeah. But then life gets very, very busy. And not that it's not busy before, but busy with expectations and after school sports and teams and travel teams and debate and, you know, all these other things and school <laughs> and academics and expectations at school. And it's, there's actually a lot of research where 
parents, they, they would absolutely say, I love my kid. I would die for my kid. I would do anything for my kid. And yes, I also want them to be successful. Is that so wrong? And of course not. We all feel that way. But it's your child's subjective experience of that. Mm -hmm. And so something to sort of be aware of and to check with yourself, check in with yourself. And it happens so quickly because there's so little time in a day that your child walks in. And the first thing you said was, how's the science test? Or how did you do in soccer today? Not because you don't love them also, and not because all you care are outcomes. It's just sort of the day. It's like automatic. And kids start to perceive that things are changing, that now what my mom... So it's, it's interesting because most of us feel like we're balanced. But a lot of times as kids get older, especially their subjective experience of that like loved unconditionally starts to feel like it's weakened. And, and, and it's it, by no fault of ours, just because days are busy and there are a lot of ex- expectations and outcomes, but it's something to think about that am I communicating to my child that regardless of how they do, or if they bomb that big test, I love them and I'm here, I'm their teammate and I'm going to help them problem solve well, why that happened and figure out maybe they could make it, you know, better choices next time. It's an opportunity. It's not make or break who they are or because it can kind of happen to a lot of parents and a lot of children as they get older. So it's great that you said that. And it's great to be aware of how am I communicating that now that my child doesn't need a bedtime story at night anymore and just text me to see if they can stay out later, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> I think, remember your, our old mentor, Suni, uh, our late mentor, yeah, so Suni Luther, she always said, you just want to make sure that your children know that our, like our children know that our love for them doesn't rest on the splendor of their accomplishments. Makes me sad for you to hear it say that. She just recently passed. Yeah. But it's so, it's so, I'm sorry. It's so, I just feel, you know, there's a lot. I mean, again, we're, we're young families, but there's so much pressure on these children. The amount of suicides here in, you know, California with Harvard Westlake. I mean, the pressure, the pressure of the parents wanting them to be or do or go and be certain things. And I know that's a whole nother episode, but I do think it starts young, the pressure that you have to be careful how you navigate. I see so many parents, I'm like, you're going to kill your child. Like, I think it's, I think it's what you just said, Bronwyn. I think it's communication, right? And I think that's where, I mean, my, my question for you guys is, that balance in communication because I struggle with, and Molly and I have this conversation, have had it over and over again. We've had it even before we had kids is, you know, I want my children, my girls, and I have three girls to always feel like they can come to me. I always say to them, you can tell me anything always. And that is my line to them almost daily. You can tell me anything always. You know, and I want them to feel comfortable. Like unless they're lying to me or absolutely hurting somebody on purpose, like that is those are like the, the the boundaries I have. You won't get in trouble. Like just tell me everything. And the danger in that communication is I also, and this is where Molly and I always talk, is we don't want them to feel like we're their best friends because that's dangerous. Like I see those mother-daughter duos, and I'm like, no, 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 you still have to respect me because I am your mother and I will be authoritative when I need to be. So it's that balance, right? So how do you tell parents to communicate and find that balance where you're able to make them feel safe 
and sharing with you, but also still have them respect you in the way that they need to and know that you're still their parent, not their friend, but kind of both. I think when the the best friend thing happens because people get confused that relation they want a relationship with their child and they confuse that mm-hmm. with best friendship. But really a best friendship is reciprocal and like we do not need our children to hear about our day in that way or like yeah. help us with our dating life if we're that was weird to say because <laughs> you're nope. married. But you I'm know dating. what I mean like so I so I think that part of that is this beautiful idea of relationship which is critical and protective getting conflated with best friendship, which is reciprocal. And, you know, when you talk to your best friends, obviously here we are, it's certainly not where there's one person who's ultimately got the authority and the safety and all of that. But one way to think about not just telling our kids they can come to us about anything, but actually embodying that and watching our reactions when they do come to us with the little stuff because that's kind of predictive for them of how we'll respond to the big stuff. And there's so many opportunities. You know, there's beginning at four years of age when they come with those questions, especially when they ask the questions in front of the people they're curious about that are awkward and feel (laughs) really sensitive and strange. And even that is an opportunity. How you respond in that moment, you know, are you welcoming them? Are they welcoming the question? I always say to parents, you could be mortified inside like dying of embarrassment and awkwardness and try your best to model on the outside? That's a really great question. And if you just can't answer it at that moment because you just can't even think straight, you might say, it's such a good question. I want to give you a really good answer. So let me think about it. And let's talk after bath or, you know, maybe be serious and return and, and answer that question because they're learning whether they really can come to you at four, five, six, seven, eight, and God willing, they're going to come to you at 16, 17, 18, when the questions are really important and really significant because they know not that you're their best friend and you're going to gossip about it and really like, you know, get down and get your you know cup of coffee, but because you're going to listen without judgment, you're not going to be mortified or embarrassed, or, but you'll be able to be a sounding board or a pot of good information. Um, And trust me, I mean, for any parent with young children, you're going to be tested a billion and one times because they have a lot of questions. And this is a real area where you got to walk the walk. Like if you say you can come to me with anything, nothing you'll ever ask me will embarrass me. I'll never be angry. If you've stumbled on something on the internet, then you've really got to make that happen when they come to you because it's a really important aspect of your relationship with all them the all the way through. You would have yeah. been so proud of me the other day. The two had gone upstairs from the dinner table and it was just Stuber and I. And he asked me, I, I won't say what it was, but he asked me uh, what, what this word meant. And then I was like, and I can lie a lot sometimes to my children she gets mad at me but like I'll just be like oh no don't worry about it no Kobe didn't die it's fine it's fine no he didn't I'm like you're like no you ha- like you have to tell that I know I'm trying to protect them she would you would have been so proud of me because I was like I definitely had had a drink but I was very I was I just said it like I was an encyclopedia I was like this is what it means you cannot use it and I didn't have any emotion behind it then he asked me another question then he asked me another question. Scott is looking at me like this. And then so finally, I've been wanting to ask 
Bronwyn knows, but I've been wanting to kind of find out what he knows Mm -hmm. in terms of gender, identity, sex. And I just asked him a, a couple of questions. I go, do you know what this means? And he looks at me and I go, he goes, I think so. And I go, what does it mean? And I was like, and then he, he told me, and I was like, well, that's not what it means. But, and then, but I was <laughs> but really, now you could talk about but it. But that was, so it was my in. I said it like addiction. Jen Garner's always like, just do no emotion behind it. Just like, just say it. And I did it. I just said it. And he literally asked me like 15 things. It was great. Because he could see that you can handle the hard conversation. Because no, if you're like, like this, <gasps> is it, this is me. This yeah. is what this means. What is a joint? I was like, a joint? I'm like, where the fuck did you get like a joint? I'm like, what are you watching South Park? I'm like, but anyway, it was, yeah, he can't be watching South Park. But it was just that really good moment. I felt so proud. I called him a shot. I'm like, oh my God, we had the talk. Hmm. We had like night, like a really good, and he was like, okay. And he just went on his merry way. And now he knows he can ask you these questions. It was good. It was a good, you would have been so, all my prep work. Can't wait to hear about it. I was like, But you know, like what Elisa said is so true. And it's not just about tough questions, like showing them that I can handle it. Elisa and I have had this conversation a lot. And that is, you really, when they get older, you often have to be the bad guy. And not all the parents are. And so if you're confident, you know, that, that my in my relationship with my child, and I'm not being the bad guy by being the bad guy. I mean, like you might have an earlier curfew, or maybe you won't be down with them going to a party with, that's unsupervised, or whatever it is. As they're getting older, maybe you'll become more lenient. But they're going to freak out, and they're going to tell you that you're the strictest parent, and nobody <laughs> other, no of the, of the other parents are like this. And how do you respond in that moment? That's one of those moments where you might cave right? Or you might come down really hard. Like, well, I don't care what other people, you know, whatever it is. You know, I always say like you hear your parents' voice in your ear in those moments. My mom, who's also passed away, I hear her voice and and she was authoritarian. And I have to remind myself that what I've natural for me to say is, you know, maybe it'll be earlier if you really, you know, if you're going to like, (laughs) I could make it earlier. And that's where my mom went. But that's not helpful. What's helpful is to say to them, I know this sucks. I know every it's everyone is going out later and that's such a bummer. I've been there. I know that. But right now, I feel like to keep you healthy and keep you safe, I'm going to make this this call and we may change it and, and you it may be later as we get through the year depending on how this goes, but this is where I feel good about make you know, this is my limit right now and I know you're not going to like it and you're probably not going to like me. And be okay with them running to their room and know they're writing in their journal about how much they hate you and you're the worst Mm -hmm. mom in the world. That's great. Let them let it out because that's normal and expected and and be comfortable with that. So a lot of parenting is being comfortable and it's hard. Comfortable with uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable, but I've already gotten it. Oh, you're the worst. You always have to have someone with me. They get to go and do whatever they want. Go and walk in the Palisades Village by themselves. I'm like, Okay, well, that's great. I don't care what Susie's mom's son's kids' daughter. I'm like, I, I don't really care. You know, I'm very good like that. I have no, but I do think it also really helps having a, a good group of mom friends who are all on the same page with parenting. Sure. Because listen, I'm, a lot of my friends are have older kids, and some let them drink, some let them don't drink, some drink in their house, some absolutely no way they're drinking in their house, but they're drinking down the street. Like there's 
it's, you know, and they're all great women. So, yeah, you know, just, it's what they're comfortable with. Yeah. But I do but think it's good to kind of so many be on the questions. Same page. I mean, I, that, that, the drinking I mean, whole I other one, I can't hear. That's a whole other bag of conversation. Like our, just really quickly, I do want you to come back. The five principles of parenting, it's coming out in January on Amazon, right? Yeah, on Amazon and everywhere you get books. Right now you can pre-order it. And there's some like pre-order stuff, like a chapter. You guys are all, class. really the seedlings. You know, you guys are. <laughs> this book is fantastic. Wealth. You, I mean, it, I it is all you have ours. I, I literally Bronwyn can't tell you. Fantastic. It's such a good book. I started reading it in the bathtub, literally. Thank you. Oh, I'm starting to read it tonight. Yeah. It's got five it, principles we'll of more edits. But yeah, Bronwyn really got in there early because, yeah, that was the first person we I trusted. We need a guide. You know, everyone needs a guide. Everyone needs that mentor. Kind of what you were saying about your mentor who just passed. Like, it's good to have that. You feel like you've got someone on your side. Like, you feel like you've got someone, you know, they're like, okay, like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you're not going to kill them and like crush them and, you know, make them hate. You know what I'm yeah. It's um, like, no, but it is the only thing we get like a gazillion chances with. I know. Like, Brooks will do something every now and then. I'll be like, I love you more than love. I'm like... Okay, we do a little bit of rapid fire here on Lipstick on the Rim. Aliza, favorite part of your job? Ah, people, moms. What's the favorite part of your job, Bronwyn? Just like connecting with all the parents I work with, laughing, the sarcasm, the connection. What is your superpower, Aliza? Humor. Not because I'm funny, because I can (laughs) laugh at funny things. Because I'm I'm sick and twisted. (laughs) Bronwyn, what's your superpower? Wedding toast. Public speaking. Are you really good at I love giving a good toast. If you could have any other job, what would it be, Aliza? I really love my job. I I don't know that one. How about you, Bronwyn? Like something CSI, like some sort of, yeah, (laughs) I love that. Dark, (laughs) dark. Do you watch dark, dark TV shows? I love like psychological thrillers. She likes the craziest stuff. Watch Chestnut Man. Me too. I love it. Have you watched that? No. I have to write that down. So good. What would my other job be? The Chestnut Man? Oh my God. It's so good. I watched it. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Bronwyn, what's your go-to cocktail? Tito's and soda. So boring. Louisa? Tito's with fresh lime shaken up. (laughs) Bronwyn, what... If you had one thing, or maybe two, that you're like, I love this bag, I love this jacket. If there's one thing that you have had or haven't or you want, what would it be in terms of like fashion? Oh, fashion? This is where I stump them right now. This is, this is where I... I mean, them. for for me, it's like the gold, like necklaces, pendants. Yeah. Eliza. I really particularly right now just want this one coat. It's just a coat. It's Which, just but, a, but, it, but we love a coat. It's just a, say, it's like a minty sage green cashmere Max coat. Oh, I know it. Do you know what I'm talking yes, I about? Do. One of the most beautiful colors. It is the prettiest color. I don't know why I'm so obsessed and I keep looking at it like, do I really? I live in L.A. Like, for what do I, do I need this? It kind of goes with my book cover. Will I need it? In- ah, <laughs> you, will. you will. You will. When you do your press tour, you will. And also, I think my other job, I would want to be one of those people who tries on makeup to see if you have allergies. Bronwyn, what's the hardest part of your job? Like now, sitting in, on Zoom all day rather than being around <laughs> people. 
What's the hardest part of your job? Um, when when something's really just not going right, when you know that there's there's suffering that cannot be alleviated. Do do you think parents listen to you? We hope that it's over fifty two percent of the time. <laughs> We're just going for a little more than average. Average. Do you think parents do? I, I mean, honestly, I think that a lot of the parents we work with have been with us since their kids were born and their kids are, you know, through high school, you know, now. And I would hope that that a lot that of the current research and the research is very counterintuitive to how a lot of us were raised. And so I hope, like for me, that they are, it's made them think about and have a little bit more self-awareness than just going on what's automatic. I think that's true for sure. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard for all of us to change patterns and and, you know, and, and there's a lot of distractions, you know, when it comes to parenting. So, but I do think so. I I, have I mean, to. we don't listen to ourselves <laughs> half the time. Well, yeah. Like we're... There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of tools. And I think the fact, like even your mm-hmm. podcast, honestly, Aliza, like the amount of times I find myself, I'm in the car by myself driving. I listen to your podcast and I'll come home and I'll run into the kitchen. And I'll be like, there was this nugget on this podcast. And I make my husband listen to it. I put it on the Sonos in the kitchen. And he's like standing there, like looking at me. I'm like, you've got to listen to this. But I think those tools are... Those nuggets are good. They're great. And they help. Yeah, and they, yeah you have them in your tool- toolbox. Like, and that's it. We put them in the toolbox. And sometimes they work. Sometimes we forget sometimes, about them. Yeah. But we're trying. And I think that's like the the takeaway for me is if anyone picks up your book or listens to your podcast, like you care, you give a damn, like you want to be a better parent. Mm. And I think that right there. And you want parents to be a better parent. (laughs) Like, I think that's the thing is we have the coolest thing happening, which is anybody who's curious or interested in this is already, they we're good. Like we're all good. Yeah. And also, you know, I think like a lot of people who actually are naysayers really don't want to listen. And they say like, how could you you know, spew parenting tips when all kids are different. You know, every child is unique. That's another, you know, really positive aspect, I think, of both of our jobs is we get to know kids through their parents. And and a lot of what we talk about is we're just here to give you tools and tips that we know from the research are really positive or really helpful or, you know, supportive. But at the end of the day, you're the expert on your child. So pick and choose what you think would right. be really helpful for your big reactor child. And or maybe you're a sensitive, slow to warm up child. Maybe this will help them join gymnastics and not, you know, cower in the behind the line. So it, it's like giving parents the opportunity to find tools when needed that they may opt to, to take out and try them out. And I think that's probably... The, the biggest help for myself and hopefully for the parents we work with. It is. Aliza, we always ask every guest before we go, Bronwyn, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self? My 10-year-old self, let me go back to when I was 10. <laughs> if I, I probably would not spend so much time obsessing over boys. <laughs> <laughs> my 10-year-old self just started noticing boys. And I would also tell my 10-year-old self, not to s- try to date my best friend Noah's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, funny. Noah. Bronwyn, what advice would you give your 10-year-old mm-hmm. self? I would say to my 10-year-old self, 
stop sitting in the back of the classroom and writing notes to your friends. It's too hard for you back there. Move up front because you're not catching anything. You guys are amazing. You're the dream team. You really are. Seedlings at Bronwyn Charlton, Aliza, Raising Good Human Podcast, Instagram, Five Principles of Parenting. We're coming back, okay? We're, we're going to go over our other subject. We have many. Secrecy versus pi- <laughs> privacy. It's okay. a big one. Oh, yeah, that. And no, we in didn't the last do that. 30 it seconds. Lisa, go. In the last 30 seconds. No, <laughs> no. But I want you guys to come back on, and I also want to have you back on to talk about the five principles of parenting. But Yay. there's so many things. You guys are incredible. Thank you for all that you guys do. It was do. great oh, seeing you guys. Great. Yeah, thank you thank for all you that you both. do. Good to see you, Lisa. I really appreciate. I mean, what? <laughs> I know. It's so good to see you. We never Zoom with each other. I know. Well, I Zoom with yeah, her. So it is funny. But great seeing you guys. Really, this is beautiful. Grab a drink like, in New York or LA at some point. All right. Bye, girls. Bye. All right, bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims and my ride or die, Amisha Gormley. We are always so excited to bring you guys along on this journey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok at Lipstick on the Rim or my website where we just dive a little bit deeper into my favorite products, trends, and much, much more on mollysims.com. This podcast is a production with Dear Media. A special thanks to my team, Elizabeth Tawfield, Schaefer Carrillo, Ken Ryan, and Anna Sessions and everyone at Dear Media. Don't forget to listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on the fun. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.